Welcome to the Non-Religious Spirituality Podcast with Jim Palmer. Explore the universal significance of spirituality beyond traditional religious dogma and doctrines. Jim is a founder of the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality, where you can find community, resources, online courses, and more. Go to www.nonreligiousspirituality.com to learn more. Welcome to the Non-Religious Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jim Palmer. There's a couple other Jim Palmers that are known to a lot of people. The first is Jim Palmer, the Hall of Fame baseball pitcher who later modeled underwear for Hanes. So I'm, I, I'm not that bad at baseball, but I'm not that Jim Palmer. And I do not model underwear. The other is... There is Jim Palmer trucking, and occasionally there are people, well, often people will send me, they'll snap a picture of a truck that says Jim Palmer on the side, that's Jim Palmer trucking, and they will uh, send it to me, which is kind of fun when I get those. So I'm not the Jim Palmer baseball pitcher turned underwear model, and I did not start a trucking company, and if you see one with my name, that's not me. So I'm the other Jim Palmer that uh, you can read about in the description or you can go to my Amazon, the books I've published, so on and so forth. So today, the fun fact is the fastest known time for hiking the Appalachian Trail is 41 days. Now, just keep in mind, the Appalachian Trail is about two 1,200 miles long. It starts in Georgia, Springer Mountain, Georgia, and it concludes in Maine, in Baxter State Park on Mount Katahdin. It crosses into 14 states, and the elevation is like climbing Mount Everest 16 times. And the fastest known time is 41 days. Now, you know, if you do the math on that, that's basically 53 miles a day, which look, I'm an endurance athlete. You know, my longest running competition was 135 miles. I've done a lot of hundred milers, <laughs> you know, 53 miles a day, something, you know, to, to get through the Appalachian trail, 2,200 miles in 41 days. So that's the fun fact of the day. I myself am giving some consideration to possibly doing the Appalachian Trail, but that's a discussion for another time. So today I want to talk about deconstruction. The word deconstruction is sort of like vogue now. So many people are talking about it, religious deconstruction. Um, and I would like to a uh, couple minutes talk about that. Now, let me give you a bit of my background. Okay, so I've been doing deconstruction work with people since 2005. So I wrote my first book in 2005. My email blew up with people who were in the process of leaving church and contacted me. And back in 2005, I started meeting with people individually to discuss the process of leaving religion. Uh, and in time, I... Um, began to spot the real problem here. One of the problems is that in the field of therapy, uh, therapists often do not want to necessarily have a lot of conversations about God and faith. You know, 
the thought is that like that's kind of something that you don't really get into in therapy. You just don't go there. You don't go into discussions of God and faith. It's different for every person. You just kind of check that at the table uh, when you're doing any kind of professional therapy. So I began to travel the country and speak to associations, professional associations of therapists to discuss this needed to change, that religion traumatized many people who have mental, psychological, emotional, sexual, relational issues because of it. So in time, this came to be known as religious trauma syndrome, which is sort of the mental health term used to describe people who have been victimized by toxic religion. So let's just start at the beginning. The word deconstruction. Now, the word deconstruction, uh, it means to break something down into smaller parts, to look at the smaller parts that were used to create an object. So if I wanted to understand how a watch worked, I would begin to disassemble each little part of the watch and look at um, all those parts. And once I looked at all those parts, I broke it down to those small parts, looked at them, understood what they were doing. Uh, that, that would be what it would mean to deconstruct a watch. But in this case, we're talking about, for example, deconstructing um, belief systems, doctrines, uh, breaking down into smaller parts these doctrines and beliefs that hold so much sway over a person's life. I, you could think of it this way. Like, you could ask the question, okay, how did we get here? Like, specifically, how did we get here to this doctrine, this belief, this theology? Let's start breaking it down and investigate it. What led to it? You know, um, and so in a nutshell, that's deconstruction. Now, a person might be asking, well, okay, like people who leave church, um, they go into this thing. There's this word now used about the process of working through this. It's called deconstruction. And, you know, like why do even people leave church? Well, there's a number of reasons why a person might leave their faith community. I mean, there's several. I, here's a few. Some people leave a church or faith community because there's some sort of church or leadership scandal, right? Like someone sees behind the curtain, they spot something that's disturbing, or there's some you know issue with the leadership or the pastor or some scandal or something goes down, and the person leaves. You know, they sort of lost faith in their religious group or faith community. Sometimes a person will leave their religious background behind because they have a life trauma, some kind of loss. They lose a loved one. They become seriously ill. They experience some kind of um, event, some kind of traumatic event or a loss. They go through a divorce. And this is sort of the first domino that falls and they're beginning to question everything you know like just as an example if you're going to a church and the idea is that you know 
God is all powerful and God is all loving and God is all good and God is managing the affairs of humankind and God listens to our prayers and you have a family member that commits suicide. You know? Okay, where was all this goodness and love and all this power and all that? You know, like sometimes a life trauma, a life loss causes people to question their beliefs and sometimes... As a result of that, that person will leave their religious background. Another reason is a faith crisis. Like, in other words, a person starts, for any number of reasons, starts to question the answers they've been given through religion to life's existential questions. And there's any number of things that could precipitate that faith crisis, but nonetheless, it happens. They they begin to lose confidence in the answers to the questions. Another reason is new information. Like, you know, when a person gets outside of, let's take Christianity, a person explores beyond theology and the Bible, they start looking into psychology and philosophy and anthropology and the sciences and the social sciences and so on. New information causes a person to perhaps begin to question their entire religious framework. And so they, they leave. And they begin this process of deconstruction. Now, for the purpose of this podcast, look, there is a very wide spectrum of people on this deconstruction um, path. So... You know, far along on this spectrum could be people like, let me give you an example. If you are a sexual abuse victim from a priest, if you have been vilified, disowned, and shamed because you left LDS, if you were controlled, manipulated, and abused through your involvement in the independent fundamentalist Baptist church denomination. If you were a member or participated in something like a Jim Jones cult or a David Koresh cult, okay, those are very extremely traumatic religious experiences. And I work with people in, in all those cases, but for the purpose of this particular podcast, we're not going to get that far down that spectrum. What we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the person who leaves church because there was a church scandal, they're having a faith crisis, there was a life trauma, there's new information. They wake up one morning and like, this doesn't really make sense anymore. That kind of person. And so I would say like, okay, when we talk about toxic religion, what exactly are we mean? What do we, what do I mean by that? Well, an element of it could be a, a patriarchal, high-control governance of the religious community of the church. And what, am I, what I mean by patriarchal is a diminished, demeaning view and treatment of women. What I mean by high-control is a leadership or structure authoritarian environment 
where people are not really allowed to think for themselves, people who are scrutinized under the, 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 the term accountability, people whose lifestyle choices are um, controlled, a high control, dominant, patriarchal governance. And that's very toxic for all kinds of reasons that we can't go into today. The other aspect of toxic religion is harmful theology. Toxic religion, at least these three ways, um, in these three ways, theology and doctrine and beliefs are very detrimental. Fear, shame, and self-doubt. Those three feelings, core beliefs, outlooks, approaches to oneself in the world are absolutely destructive. And, you know, a lot of toxic religion is actually that fear, fear of God, fear of hell, and then shame, right? You're inherently bad. You're a sinner and self-doubt. You can't trust yourself. Listen to us, the Bible experts. So fear, shame, and self-doubt and self-doubt cripple normal human psychological development. It's the groupthink mentality. That's another way that religion is toxic. It's, it's groupthink. Look, if enough people believe the same thing, it must be right. And if we question it, then we're the crazy ones. That's groupthink. It's toxic. And then the, the last aspect of it is a repressive environment. Repressive. What I mean by that is that it the toxic religion, a component of it is that it's an environment that doesn't feel safe for a person to be who they really are. Like you can't walk into a toxic religious church and start spouting off something like about how you struggle with depression or any number of other normal mental health struggles that people have because it's a repressive environment where you're not supposed to be that way, right? You're, you know, between Jesus, faith, and the Bible, you should be fine. You should always be one prayer Bible verse away from not being depressed, not having a broken relationship and any, any number of things. And so that kind of repressive environment is so damaging. So basically then, because we got to wrap this up here, the deconstruction process is a process of identifying, processing, and healing, right? Like a person has to identify the specific ways. And, and the reason why I'm even talking about this is a lot of people will leave their church. They will give up big pieces of their theology, but those things don't go deep enough into the deconstruction. That's why in the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality, I'm leading a 16-week group, and we're going to work through this process I'm describing right now, identifying, processing, and healing from the harmful effects of toxic religion. So just as we close here, let me give you an example. Self-doubt. 
right? Your heart is deceitful, can't be trusted. You're sinful, so you can't trust. Feelings are unreliable, so on and so forth. And so the religious leader says, trust me instead, or, or even says that your authority should be in the Bible. But we all know that it's not, you know, one shouldn't say, my authority is in the Bible. The truth is, is it's my authority is in what the church taught me the Bible means, which means that my authority is in the teacher, the preacher, seminary education, how they put it together, their interpretation of the Bible. And if I can't trust myself because I'm a sinner and my feelings are like not reliable and so on, how is that any different from my preacher? You're we're asked to put our trust into another person, but if it's true that this is the way I am, it would also be true that that's the way that person is. And that's all part of the deconstruction. Part of the deconstruction is we would have a discussion about why and how you can trust yourself. Why you have the innate tools to have confidence in yourself, making your decisions about your life, your spirituality, and so on. You know, critical thinking is one. Direct experience is another. The capacity to collaborate with other people to assist wise people is something that you can do. And a whole host of other things. So we would take, you know, we could take anything. We could tell, take self-doubt, deconstruct it. Look at how absurd the whole religious idea is. Begin to investigate all the reasons why you actually can trust yourself or even what that means and how to start living your life that way. Okay. So that's it for now. The next video is going to be on reconstruction, like what's involved with that. Hey, thanks for listening. If you find this helpful, share the podcast with others. Visit the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality at nonreligiousspirituality.com. And we will see you the next time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit nonreligiousspirituality.com to find community, resources, and more. 